It was a strange set of events that began to transpire after that supper. Jesus, of course, was rested in the garden after being betrayed by Judas. He went on trial in different kinds of places. It was quite a mockery of justice, actually, because there was no reason to be trying him for anything. But for whatever the reasons may be, the people who were against him wanted him gone. And so Pilate, he finally consented, though he thought he would be able to offer them Barabbas, but they chose not Barabbas. They chose not Jesus, but they chose Barabbas. He was led to the cross, and it's symbolic having a cross up here with us this evening. It's made out of railroad ties. It's quite heavy, for those of you who have moved it before. Jesus carried his own cross to Golgotha. Jesus, he knew all that was transpiring. But the people around him were caught in disbelief. As they led him away, they seized Simon the Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus talking and describing the desolation which was to come with the fall of Jerusalem. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out from with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, Oh, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you were the king of the Jews, then save yourself. Save yourself. There was written a notice above him on the cross that said, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and the darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, he called out then with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion 
seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The Apostle Paul takes the whole events of the Passion Week and the event of the cross on Good Friday, and he sums it up in one verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And in this verse, if you get this verse, you're going to get most of all the gospel. But if you don't get this verse, then you're not getting much of any of the Bible. This verse has 23 words. 21 of the words are single-syllable words. One is a two-syllable word, and the third, righteous. Then there's one that has three syllables, righteousness. In this verse of 2 Corinthians 5.21, we begin to have... uh, a fuller understanding of what happened on this cross when Jesus died. They were standing and watching these things. What's going on? This doesn't make sense. We thought he was the Messiah. Why would he allow himself to be crucified? Why did people turn against him? Why all the jeering and the shouting? When Wasn't it Palm Sunday we were just celebrating him as, as a future king and acknowledging that we had hope in him? How did it go so wrong so fast? It headed south within mere days. And Jesus was dead. The criminal on one of the sides, wasn't he sort of right? Why didn't he say, hey, why don't you you save yourself and save us if you're really the Son of God, this Messiah? But Jesus remained obedient to the Father's will because the hurricane of God that was doing something different that would define the center point of all history, he knew his Son had to do something on this cross in order for all the world to change, not only then, but for us to have hope and change today in our world and in your life and mine as we're here tonight. This verse, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The verse had to do with the character of Christ Himself. God made him who had no sin. Jesus had no sin. Now you try to comprehend that one. I don't think we've gone a week, any of us in this room, probably without sinning. Oh, if you want to define sins by mere actions, maybe so. But sins, as Jesus began to define them, were sins of the thought life even before the action. Scriptures teach that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You have sinned, I have sinned, but Jesus, the one who hung on this cross, was without sin. Try to comprehend that kind of character. There was no sin. There was no fault. There was no evil. He never did anything wrong in word or in action. Jesus never had to ask somebody's forgiveness. No pardon. His character was pure and spotless. And if something was going to be done in all the universe as a center point of history to change time, then there needed to be perfection. And Jesus was perfection. The scriptures say that he was tempted in all such ways as us, but without sin. That is not 
easy for me to comprehend. Because sometimes we think, well, Jesus was sort of special. You know, he was born of a virgin. He was, it was God to come in the flesh. Yeah, he took on the flesh. But, you know, he was sort of resistant against all the temptation. Nope. No. He would see the beauty in a woman, but he would not objectify her and take lust into his heart. He would get angry as he did in the temple and turned over the tables because he was indignant about unrighteousness that was happening. But in his anger, he would not sin. Jesus never took a hold of some selfish ambition to thwart the Father's will. Ultimately, he was always submissive to him. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was spotless. And if he wasn't, then what happened on Good Friday wouldn't have worked. In the Old Testament, they would offer a sacrificial lamb. And the lamb was to be one year old to be spotless, a male lamb, without any defect. And that was the lamb that was slain and offered for sacrifices for sin all through Jewish history. And when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist, when he first saw him, he crawled out, cried out and he said, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus walked into the eye of the storm because he knew that he had a purpose to fulfill in the Father's heaven. He had to deal with the sin, but he himself had to be without sin. And so he was sinless. He was the perfect lamb to be offered. And you have to understand that about God. God made him who had no sin. He had no sin to be sin for us. To be sin for us describes then his sacrifice. The sin offering. If you think it was hard to understand that Jesus was sinless, this is ten times as hard. What does it mean? What does it mean that he who had no sin, he had to be sin, come sin for us? Now, sometimes translations will work in a different kind of way and a different kind of angle. But the reality is he took upon himself, even though he was never, ever a sinner, the sin of all people. Your sin, my sin, the sin that happened way back 10 years ago that you can't forgive yourself about, and the sin that you probably are going to walk into tomorrow, past, present, and future, Jesus took upon himself that sin. It wasn't a pretty sight. In Isaiah, in the messianic passage of Isaiah 53, written hundreds of years before Jesus on the scene, we have these words describing the Jesus that was crucified. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infinite infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He who had no sin became sin for us. He became sin for us in a couple measures. The first is that he took our place for us. You see, don't ever think of the cross as like an empty cross. Jesus was on that cross, yes, and many times you will find, um, especially in Catholic circles, that crucifix with Jesus on the cross. I don't really care to see Jesus on the cross. But when I see an empty cross, I need to think in terms of, I should be the one who's on that cross. There needs to be consequences for sin. You know, we'll watch something in the news about somebody who's done something, something dastardly, something evil. And we think, well, they've got to pay. Justice needs to be served. Sometimes we'll then justify our small sins, our white little lie kind of sins. But if you're dealing with a perfect God and a perfect heaven, there is no imperfection that can ever enter into his realm of a righteous kingdom. And so all sin with God is equal. And so when I say I have sinned, there is a reality that there needs to be justice. And so I should be the one on a cross. But Jesus took my place on the cross, and he took your place on the cross. And if you've never heard that tonight, you need to know that. It wasn't just a nice little story that happened. Jesus went to the cross because of all of your bad, all of your sin. He took it upon himself. He paid the penalty for us. That should have been us on the cross. Think in terms of if I went around here and we opened up, had everybody write a big book, and you saw all your sins. All your sins in the book. It'd be a big book. It would. I'll sit down with you and help you write it. It'd be a big book. And then think in terms of everybody's book in all the world of their sins. Jesus was without sin. But it would be like giving him that book of my sin, and your book, and your book, and your book, and the books of everybody in the whole world, and his blood ripped back, the weight of those books of all the sin was placed upon him. He took upon himself the sin. That's what it means to be sin for us. And he took our place, and then he paid our penalty on The cross. Justice had to be served. And he says, I'll take it. I'll take it. And so when I see an empty cross, I'm so grateful that Jesus is no longer on the cross. And and, yeah, we'll celebrate Easter come Sunday. But the, the cross really should have been me and should have been you. It's a very humbling thing. And if it's hard for you to have that kind of humility, then I would just simply ask you tonight, would you pray? Pray to God that he would help you to see yourself as he truly sees. Because sometimes arrogance and pride keep us from being able to come to the cross and come unto Jesus. Sometimes we're overwhelmed and broken. We don't think, oh my goodness, I could never come. But other times we're very prideful and indifferent. And I tell you what, we live in a culture more and more all the time that does not talk about sin and does not talk about the consequences of sin. And it needs to be rightfully dealt with in our soul. But here is the one who is the spotless Lamb of God who took upon himself 
the sin of the world, and he shed his blood. And what he did was what's called a substitutionary atonement. He took my place on the cross and shed his blood, not mine. Now, blood's an interesting thing. We symbolically take of the juice and do communion tonight, the blood. But, you know, a, a number of years ago, some people were really bothered by it in some churches, and they thought they needed to take the word of blood out of all their songs, all their hymnology, because it was too offensive to people. I'm sorry, you can't take the blood out of the Bible or out of the gospel story. I don't fully understand it, but the blood means shed life, one life given for another. And the shed blood of Jesus Christ, scriptures say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He took our place on the cross, the substitutionary atonement. So God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you look at his character, you look at his sacrifice, but the last part is looking at what's called the exchange life. He takes my place. He takes my place. He suffered, but I was redeemed. He died, but I live. He took upon the penalty, but I was set free. He exchanges his life, and this is what happens when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, finding redemption, finding salvation, because all that you've done, and you could go through your book big time, it all gets washed away because Jesus took it upon himself, and then he imputes his righteousness into your life when you choose to become a follower of him. When you repent of your sin, you follow Christ, this work of Good Friday becomes applicable to your life. And God then sees you not as an imperfect sinner. He sees you as a redeemed child of God. The exchange life. The exchange life. That we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness means upright standing. Perfection. So when you stand before God someday and he says, well, why should I let you into my perfect realm? You say, well, there's nothing about me except that Christ's righteousness is in me. And God will look at you and say, I see the righteousness of Christ in you. Welcome him to my perfect realm. So his character, his sacrifice, and then the exchanged life. But you have to act on that step of obedience, and we have to recall that even here on a Good Friday. There was one professor, actually, a guy who started a seminary. And he would give what was called uh, the four-step example. And he said, Here, here's the big story, real simple. And kids, if you want to try this, you can. He put his hands out and he said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God created mankind to be in relationship with him. And so you have God, and you have mankind, people. Stick them out there. You're good. And so you stick them out there. Here's God and here's mankind. And they came together in the garden. They were together in the garden. And all was well until what happened? Until sin entered the world. Somebody disobeyed God. We know them as Adam and Eve, right? They sinned. And so if you take your right hand, sin means that man turned away from God. And so... 
in turning away from God, there was no longer a relationship because sin came into the world. And because mankind now had sin and God's perfect, God could not look upon sin. And so God turned from sin, from looking at the sin of mankind. Now you're really getting twisted, aren't you? Hang with me. So mankind's facing one way. God's facing the other. But then God decided to do something about it. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and take our place on the cross. Him who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And what God did through Jesus Christ is he could come on the other side. Left over right. And then he was face to face again with men and women and boys and girls. And now they could have that relationship again. And they could have that relationship again because Jesus took our place on this cross. If you've never prayed to commit your life to Jesus Christ and receive his righteousness in your life and the forgiveness of your sins, then I want you to pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, in this moment of Good Friday, we thank you that we have the gospel. And the gospel is so simple, but yet so incredibly crazy that you would love us so much to come to this earth, embody yourself in human flesh, live a sinless, perfect life, but then go to the cross in obedience, Jesus, to the Father. And take all of our bookloads of sin on the shoulders of you and die for our sins so that we might be forgiven. Lord, we know that that forgiveness doesn't happen unless we turn to you as you come to face us face to face. And Lord, as you've come tonight, maybe even in giving the opportunity for others to hear the story, maybe they've heard it before, maybe for the first time, I pray if they want to be a follower of yours and have their sins forgiven and have your blood wash away all the stains, that they would simply pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for dying on a cross, taking my sin on the cross. I repent and I turn to you. And I invite you to come into my life I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And from this day forward, I will choose to live for you. Jesus, give me your righteousness. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. The worship team is going to come. I want to show you the verse that's right before this verse. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 that we just looked at, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what Paul was about doing. That's what we're to be about doing. That's why we have a simple prayer for you to be reconciled to God. You have to act. You have to receive Jesus. But friends, there's many others that need to know the good news and the hope that we can have in being set free to be able to have new life in Christ. And so Easter, Sunday morning, 
You have a job to be an ambassador of the good news. And we get to complete the story with the resurrection and the power and all the significance of that and how it makes all the scriptures come together on your way out. After we sing this song, make sure you grab a card, invite somebody to come. Men, we have a breakfast in the morning at 7 a.m. Yes, you can get up. Maybe there's someone you can call tonight to come. We have a special guest speaker coming from San Diego. He has a big heart for people, and he has a heart for evangelism. And we're able to get the second room today, finally. So we have plenty of space for you to invite your friends. I send it out an email. Maybe you can forward it to them. 7 a.m. Pick them up. We are the ambassadors of this gospel message that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Will you be an ambassador for him this weekend? Let's sing this song as we close. Amen.